0: From Outpost Media and Blue Ion, this is The Way Out There. Conversations and stories about the relationship between people and the outdoors. We interview outdoor leaders, teachers, guides, and everyday individuals who have answered a call to step into the vast beauty out there. By hearing their stories, we hope you'll be inspired to go way out there yourself. Mary Ann Hudson is a naturalist and wildlife educator at Russell Lands on Lake Martin in central Alabama, an outdoor recreation community centered around one of the country's largest man-made lakes. When Mary Ann is not guiding tours on the 25,000-acre Russell Forest, she performs public outreach for the Alabama Department of Conservation's Wildlife and Freshwater Fisheries Division. We visited with Mary Ann on site at Russell Lands to discuss her passion for the wild and her work as a guide and an educator. Marianne Hudson, thank you for joining us on the way out there.
1: I'm excited to be here.
0: We are excited to have you here and to be in this spectacular place doing this together. We're sitting this morning at Russell Lands on Lake Martin in central Alabama, surrounded by 40,000 acres of crystal blue water, 25,000 acres of lush forest. And can you tell us about your work here as a naturalist and a wildlife educator well, at Russell Lands?
1: As you just described, this is a beautiful place to be. Who would want to be anywhere else? Than surrounded by this beautiful landscape. And I'm extremely fortunate that my job is to be an interpreter between that beautiful forest and the public. And what I do is I learn as much as I can about the wild flora and fauna here, and then I help other people discover the same things that I've discovered.
0: Oh, it's like a, and that's, you get to do that every day.
1: I do, I love it.
0: All seasons. All seasons. All days. When
1: When it's hot, I sweat. When it's cold, I shiver. <laughs>
0: What are some of the more unique and interesting aspects of the ecosystem here?
1: Well, the wonderful thing about Russell Forest is that there are a variety of habitats. It's such a large piece of property that it allows for an extremely varied environment. And so we've got areas that stay wet. We've got areas that stay dry. We've got old trees. We've got young trees. And we've got wetlands. And we've got dry, sandy soil. It depends on where you are. In Russell Forest and that diversity of habitat means there's going to be a diversity of species both plant and animal life And so you can step into Russell Forest and depending where you which direction you want to walk You're gonna have a very different experience every time you come.
0: Wow. This is endless with that amount of space You must be able to get yourself into anything.
1: Absolutely We've got over a hundred miles of walking trails and remember you don't have to stay on the trail
0: What uh, Without giving away any of your most cherished secret spots, what are some of the more interesting areas that you love to go back and check in on to see what's going on or who's there?
1: One of the things that I love the most is taking people down into the creeks because the creeks, which sometimes seem very small, may even be partially dried up, typically yield quite a number of small creatures that students of mine, whether they're adults or children, can find and discover. And so these are animals that are right under their noses that they never even knew they were there. And they can catch them with their own hands and find out who they are.
0: And was this area, with the historical perspective of the landscape here, it was um, rolling hills and creeks and that and river was probably the base and then Was flooded at one point to create the lake and is that the dynamics of what you have going on today
1: yes absolutely and that's another thing that's really amazing is this this lake is man-made this is not a natural lake we don't have natural lakes around here and this man-made lake has yielded such a beautiful diversity of habitats of all the sloughs reaching up like little fingers into the woods and making little neighborhoods for these creatures so
0: you will go out with groups of people, sometimes individuals, could be young, a bunch of kids, could be adults or, or families in a mix of, mix of the above. What are some of the amazing wildlife encounters that you can think of or remember?
1: Well, one of the things that I always tell my participants not to expect is not to expect any of the large fauna, because we tend to be making noise, and so the deer are going to run away, the turkeys are going to run away. Although those species are very plentiful here, instead of seeing them, more likely we're going to see evidence of them, their tracks, their droppings, other signs that they have left behind. However, that leaves a lot more species that aren't able to get away from us so easily. Snakes, turtles, insects, spiders, and a, a variety of things like that are always right there for us to find. We've never been disappointed
0: hmm. i imagine seeing that look on someone's face could be the first time that they've seen one of those species out in the wild on their own two feet uh, does it have a residual impact on them i would imagine you see them come back from a from a trip it, on the trails.
1: It does, and I think that is one of the things I love the most about using Russell Forest as a classroom. We have so much interest in animals from people of all ages, and those people often go to zoos, which are wonderful resources. And then those children grow up and they know a lot more about elephants and zebras than they know about the animals in their own backyard. And I find that to be very unfortunate. And so I use Russell Forest to foster an interest in the animals that they can have easy access to. Just as important as those glamorous megafauna can be, we have a whole variety of other animals right here under our own feet that are just as amazing, just as important, and just as fun to learn about as the types you would see in zoos. And how much more wonderful is it that we can see these creatures in their own natural habitat under the logs where they spend their whole life or slithering along the woods where they've been for a decade.
0: And it's so accessible to us. I mean. Again, this is a spectacular setting that many people might consider to come as a retreat and you know and calm down and reconnect with family and the outdoors and the activities they love. But it, whether you're living here full time or visiting or you're at home wherever home may be, it's all around us.
1: It's absolutely immersive. Russell Forest is immersive. You get out here and you spend time in the woods and you find some things that you may have never noticed before. And once you're tuned in to the fact that they're here you'll be able to duplicate that experience in other places, even in your own property.
0: That's very nice. So the notion to tune in is really interesting. So what, how do you tell someone to, as you launch into a, a, an hour walk or, or a, a much longer one, or even an overnight camping trip, how do you tell someone to change their perspective, to change their pace, to, to prepare themselves for receiving all that?
1: Well, that's what's so wonderful about my trips into Russell Forest. when I guide these folks into the woods. I don't actually tell them anything. I guide them to discover things on their own. What I do is I open doors and invite them to walk through those doors. And what's behind those doors are often, as you said, things that they've never thought to consider. And so maybe they didn't realize that we had so many species here. Maybe they didn't realize that many of those same species are in their own backyards. And so by inviting them to come with me and discover, I give them guiding questions. I I may see something interesting. I don't point it out, I just pause. And I encourage them to look around and, you know, what do you think I, why do you think I stopped? And they'll look around and they'll find it on their own. So I guide them to discover things for themselves. And in my opinion, that leads to a variety of bleed over into other life skills. When you can tune into something like nature, for example, it it builds that skill of noticing details, of being able to think critically, of being able to guess, of being able to predict what you may see next or what caused this particular phenomenon. And those skills definitely creep into other aspects of our lives as well.
0: Very nice. I I love that point. So if you're just there calling out everything like an encyclopedia or an app on your phone that that may be entertaining and informational to them, but they're not really coming away with the ability to put themselves back into that moment, back at home or the next time they're out.
1: Exactly. For example, just the other day I was in the woods with a young girl. She was eight years old and her family and we were in Russell Forest and I found where a turtle had recently made a nest in the ground. And it had been robbed, and those eggs had been eaten by raccoons. Now, it was very small, and of course, I've seen this countless times, so I know exactly what drama played out there. And all I did was pause and had her look around and figure out why I had paused. And she eventually discovered the disturbance on the ground. But of course, having not experienced that before, she didn't know what it was. And I didn't tell her. Uh, We had to go through uh, quite a number of postulations and for her to try to figure out what happened here, what lays eggs in the ground? What, what has claws that's able to dig? What might eat these? Why are, what, what are these little shells? And without me giving her any information, but rather leading her with guiding questions, she figured out that a turtle, female turtle, had laid eggs in that trail and that it, a raccoon had come along and, and eaten those eggs. And she was 100% correct. And I didn't tell her a thing.
0: I love that. It broadens the concept of what a guide is and does.
1: Exactly, I'm more of a um, a facilitator. A facilitator.
0: Very nice. You must be. It must. It must take forever to walk through the woods with you.
1: (laughs) It really does. You get
0: 10 yards in an an hour.
1: You're exactly right. We don't get exhausted because we're not strenuously walking quickly. Rather, we're spending quite a bit of time in the woods. Um, That particular trip in the woods, I had told the parents that we'd probably be done in about an hour and a half and we were two hours and 20 minutes. (laughs) And we didn't get very far, but we enjoyed every second of it.
0: Well, it comes right back to that notion of it's all around us if we're willing to stop and slow down a little bit and listen and look, smell and use all your senses for what's there.
1: That's exactly right. And another thing about learning to foster those appreciations for nature is that If you develop an interest in nature, which, by the way, doesn't have to start as a child. Any one of us can start today. If you develop an interest in nature, you will forever have no excuse for being bored because it doesn't matter where you live. You can be in the city. uh, You can be on your deathbed facing the window and still be able to have experiences with what you see and hear in nature. So it's really a lifelong gift that we can give someone here in Russell Forest to impart that interest in appreciating and noticing what's going on around them and they can carry it through their entire life regardless of their ability we have definitely all sorts of opportunities for folks with physical challenges with emotional or mental challenges it doesn't matter what your skill set is russell Forrest is the great equalizer all of us get out there and are just as amazed no matter what our abilities are. And
0: the opportunity there for everybody. Absolutely. Well, in addition to your work as a naturalist and uh, an educator with, with Russell Lands and in, in and around Russell Forest, you also work for the state. And what uh, department is that?
1: It's the Alabama Department of Conservation, Wildlife, and Freshwater Fisheries Division.
0: Okay. And what's your capacity and your, your a week of work look like? Uh, in, in that capacity, in, in that in that field?
1: Well, I do a lot of public outreach. Mm-hmm. And so I help resolve a lot of conflicts between the public and wildlife. For example, people call and complain about raccoons getting in their trash, deer eating their gardens, um, feral swine destroying their property, and all sorts of things from foxes to possums. And how do they reconcile these conflicts that they're having with wildlife? And so I spend a lot of time helping the public understand how they can handle wildlife problems on their property, and also how they can enjoy and utilize the public lands that we have in Alabama that offer experiences for hunting, fishing, and hiking.
0: Do you do that on a, a sort of group basis with larger presentations to classrooms and clubs and those sorts of things? Or does it also happen on a one-to-one basis or I'm calling in on a hotline saying, there's a deer destroying all my new landscape?
1: I do have some outreach off-site, but a lot of times I'm answering the phone and helping resolve those problems.
0: Do you see those problems increasing? They've been about the same as always. Uh, do, you, do you, you know, what's what's what, it, what might a, uh, a week of calls look like for you?
1: Well, I'll give you an example. Yesterday I had five calls about foxes alone. Really? Yes, and several about bears, a couple about alligators, one possum, and one raccoon. And so that's just one day of calls. Now, Your question about whether or not those calls were increasing, yes, I believe they are. And there's a couple of reasons for that. One is that in this age of social media, word spreads like wildfire. If somebody sees a bear on their property, then everybody wants to talk about it. If somebody says, oh, that fox is out during the day, is that a problem? And everybody wants to talk about it. And so it's not necessarily that the wildlife and human issues have changed or increased as much as people being vocal and reaching out for information has increased, which is a wonderful thing.
0: I'd say it's a more. Yeah, that's an entire. That's an opportunity more than anything else. It is excellent. Um, what issues and challenges, sort of on a macro level, do you see around Lake Martin and and Russell Lands, and even broader here? Uh, do you see um, the most most communities are wrestling with how to balance growth and opportunity, and and then their and their natural resources and setting? Do you wrestle with some of those same issues, just like most places?
1: Yes. I think that some people are a little bit disconnected. They want to move to a beautiful place that's full of woods and water. And then they're not quite pleased when the native animals that live there are right in their own backyard. So this kind of the same thing they chose it for is the reason why they're gritting their teeth about it. And so there are ways to mitigate those conflicts and discourage those animals from becoming a nuisance. But there are also ways to learn to embrace it and to realize that, hey, these are my neighbors. And the more you learn about them, the more you develop an interest and are invested in them. And so what is at one time just a woodpecker making noise at my house, knocking on my house, once you learn what species it is and find out what they eat and realize how large their eggs are and and all the trouble they have to go through to incubate their brood, then maybe, you know, it doesn't bother you so much because you have a little bit better understanding of that neighbor.
0: Switches from being a nuisance to an opportunity. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. Uh, you have expe- specific experience and interest in Raptors, and uh, many people may know you as uh, one of the trainers of uh, Auburn's War Eagle. Mm-hmm. And could you uh, tell us how you uh, became one of those trainers? And I want to ask you a little bit about the experience of actually – working with a bird to land it on a 50-yard line during a rowdy football game.
1: Absolutely. How did
0: that that opportunity first come to you?
1: Well, I I love raptors, birds of prey, hawks, owls, eagles. I I love all native wildlife. Uh, Again, I'm a proponent of native wildlife. You, you, of all sorts. Uh, yeah, I don't want to talk about giraffes or anything like that. I'm a proponent of native wildlife. And our native birds of prey are hunters. And frankly, so am I. I like to hunt. And so uh, definitely clicked with them. And the age-old sport of falconry is something that I got involved in about 20 years ago. So I became a falconer, which is... Did
0: it, did it start from an interest in raptors? And then how could I work with them? And and even in a hunting capacity? Well, it
1: started with an interest in hunting. It started with an interest in hunting. And it's a way to hunt without um, using a firearm. Now, I do hunt with a firearm. So, you know, I love to deer hunt and, you know, I, I shoot those deer with a firearm. But when it comes to honing your craft, so to speak, there's a lot more delicate intricacies to training a hawk to allow you to hunt with it instead. And so it's not rocket science, but it is something that requires a lot of patience. And so it's more of a step back, enjoy the experience, train this raptor. Of course, they already know how to hunt. All falconry is, is is getting the raptor to allow you to accompany it when it does its thing. And so you train the raptor, and then you hunt with it. So to take a bird from the wild, train it to basically trust you as a colleague and partner, and then go into the woods and take natural game with it is an amazing experience it's it's, remarkable. it's a bit more satisfying than using a firearm because of all the investment and work that goes into it and so 20 years ago I became a falconer because I tutored under another falconer and as the years went by I found that there were actually job opportunities available for using similar techniques to train birds for educational presentations including those games you mentioned
0: what um how If someone was interested in entering that field of interest, much less going forward with it, how 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 would one start the process to become a falconer?
1: Well, the great thing about all of these nature-related activities is you don't have to wait to get involved and so you can start today
0: it's not too late exactly
1: it's never too late it's never too late there are people who get started training raptors well into their senior years and that i know personally and they didn't get started until after they retired and there's no problem with that
0: what's the level of <clears throat> trust that's developed between you and a specific raptor
1: Well, trust is the right word because affection is not. You know, they don't have affection for their handlers because, frankly, they don't have a lot of affection between each other. And so whereas we may really appreciate them and find them to be beautiful or enjoy their company, with them it's kind of a a more instinctual relationship where they know you're not going to hurt them and they're willing to carry out their natural behaviors right before your eyes, whether it's preening their feathers, taking a bath, or hunting their food. And so... It is about developing trust and teaching that bird that you mean no harm.
0: So the same trust and, and um, partnership that you develop for hunting, do you bring that into this crazy setting of, of a stadium before a game? And will you walk us through like what, what that's like? Absolutely. Like, how, that, how that actually happens?
1: Absolutely. So in a nutshell, the birds are trained to come to their handlers for a food reward. And when I was working with those eagles, it was the same as all the hawks and owls and falcons I've worked with. You train the bird to trust that when it comes to you, it's going to get a food reward. And as predators, raptors are very highly food motivated, as are most of of us. Mm -hmm. We are predators, and so food motivates us. And so when the bird is trained to consistently come to you for a food reward, it's willing to overlook that screaming crowd and come down for that. It's, it can focus. It can focus, exactly.
0: And War Eagle, as the name would suggest, is an eagle? they've uh, Has there been different types of eagles, different species of eagles?
1: There have been two species of eagles that have flown at those football games. The Golden Eagles and the bald eagle. Now, golden eagles are historically called war eagles. And it is not only a great battle cry, but at one time, Native Americans referred to golden eagles as war eagles. So a war eagle to this point has been a golden eagle, but we have also had a bald eagle that flew at Auburn's football stadium when I was employed there.
0: And to uh, maybe final question on this. So do you have to leave it a treat as part of that process that's part of its reward to land and perform its job? Absolutely.
1: We don't disappoint the bird. So when it comes for a food reward, it gets a food reward.
0: So what does it get to snack on on the 50 yard line? It
1: would be its natural food. So it's typically rats or mice or even chickens. And that's a whole animal and with all of its innards, complete and raw.
0: That's fantastic. So tell us a little bit about eagles. So what what is, aside from what we know and what we've seen and learned as little kids all through our lives about eagles, what's something fascinating or or unusual that most people don't know about them as species?
1: One of the great things about bald eagles is really where we are historically with them. And Russell Forest and around Lake Martin is a great place for you to experience that turning point where we are in history about the fact that bald eagles used to be an endangered species. And now, thanks to healthy habitats like this one, they are plentiful throughout the United States. And so I can always tell when, basically how old a caller is because if a caller is over 50 years old, they will report an eagle sighting. Whereas if I ask a group of children if they've ever seen a bald eagle, every single one of them raises their hands because they went from being endangered and almost completely extirpated to being very plentiful throughout the region. And so it's not uncommon to see a bald eagle, especially right here in Russell Forest and around Lake Martin.
0: Wonderful. Uh, we saw some osprey on the lake just the other night.
1: Ospreys are my favorite raptor.
0: Beautiful birds, and do they do they uh, are they rivals of eagles at times? Do the two of them fight over space or food or all the above?
1: They sure do. They they fight over food. They actually pirate from one from one another. And so an osprey will dive into the water and catch a fish, and a bald eagle will bully it right away from him. And so yes, they are they are a bit of competitors over the fish. They mitigate that by having different fishing styles. Bald eagles pluck fish from the surface of the water. Ospreys dive whole body in. Wow. And they'll get fish that are even four feet down. Wow. And so they they hunt different levels of the water. But once that fish is caught, everybody wants it.
0: Fair game. Mm -hmm. They're majestic competitors. They are. Um, What are some of your earliest childhood memories of getting out in the outdoors? What was it that started working for you as a, as a kid to say like, I've got to spend all my time looking under rocks and turning over logs and looking up into the trees. Well, Where were you and what was that like?
1: I grew up, actually many people are surprised to learn that I grew up in Baltimore city. And you know, again, there are plenty of wild animals from insects to squirrels, to raccoons, to possums in any city. And so I grew up in Baltimore city and my family also had a property on the Chesapeake Bay on Maryland's Eastern shore, Gorgeous area. a beautiful area on a little island called Hooper's Island which maybe very few listeners have heard of and it's a just a gem of a natural resource on Maryland's eastern shore but between both of those places Baltimore City and Maryland's eastern shore I was exposed to countless creatures and I've always been one of those people that finds things whether it's an injured squirrel or a turtle crossing the road or an interesting beetle crawling on my shirt. I've been one of those magnets my whole life. And so when people ask me how long I've been a naturalist, I very honestly and sincerely answer my entire life.
0: Do you have a sense or belief that we all are born naturalists with a curiosity to wildlife and nature and somehow we turn away from it or are taught to go focus on other things? Is half the game trying to figure out how to just keep that fire alive
1: i do believe that and and here's why look across cultures worldwide things are so different but yet in this room we're sitting in and similar rooms across the world hanging on the walls are pictures of scenery mountainscapes seascapes a pond a lake trees the same pictures on your wall are hanging on walls around the world of people that are world different from you we all have that longing we all have that attraction To the wild. And it's about turning it on. It's about turning it on and keeping it on. Some of us, it comes easier than others, but it's there for everyone.
0: Is it possible for you to have favorite places out in the wild or different types of climates or topography, or is it all just magic to you?
1: It's all magic, but I will admit I do have favorites. (laughs) I I feel like some of those. I feel like all of us kind of imprint on home. And I, I love. Maryland thats where I'm from. I love Maryland's Eastern Shore. I love the Chesapeake Bay. And I I feel like the water calls to me, like wild water calls to me. And I also feel that woods, hardwoods, you know, I love pine forests. And I I can say that I love them all equally, but I'm definitely called a hardwood forest.
0: What is a bucket list type of place that you want to go see in the U.S. or far beyond?
1: Well, that's the amazing thing, is that I love nature so much that I am 110% happy wherever I am. It doesn't get any better. It doesn't get any better than Russell Forest. I have zero interest to travel to any exotic places. I've actually been offered uh, free trips to rainforest to assist with guiding tours there, and frankly, I am just as happy in Russell Forest as I would be anywhere else. It satisfies me 100%.
0: You've got a lifetime to learn and explore. Exactly.
1: I, it's like Christmas morning every time.
0: I <laughs> love that. Um, how would someone pursue a, a career in, in your field to become a naturalist, an environmental educator, or even for that matter, a Raptor trainer? What at what inflection point was there for you where you said this is not only my passion? I love running through the woods and exploring. I need to go get some training on this. I need to look for a job in this. How do you? How does someone begin that process that they're listening and they're in high school, let's say, or in college, or maybe uh, started their professional career, but it isn't quite what they want to be doing?
1: Well, that's one of the wonderful things about working in nature is it's something that. You can start building your resume literally today. You know, if you want to be a fireman, you're going to have to wait. If you want to be a doctor or a lawyer, you have to wait. But if you want to study nature, all you have to do is go outside and start. And no matter what age you are, whether it's the eight-year-old girl I was with the other day or the adults or retirees, you go outside, you start. And from there, you develop your experiences. And I went to school for wildlife biology and wildlife management, so I do have a degree in that. Other people gain their experience by volunteering at national parks, state parks, historic places, and they learn how to become an interpreter between a site and the public. And if you can learn to basically be a translator between what you're seeing and experiencing and people that are hungry to hear it, You learn it with your boots on the ground and you learn it with your head in a book and anyone can do it.
0: Um, As your your role as uh, a naturalist and an educator, what impacts do you see on people when they go out into the woods with you and you take them on a journey on a trail or even a 10-yard walk that lasts two hours? What do you see in them when they return from that trip or the next time you see them?
1: I think my favorite part of the the switch that I see when I get someone in the woods is the fact that some of them are incredulous that they're being given permission to have a hands-on experience. And this is across ages. So many of us are taught that we are separate from nature and that it's something for us to revere and take a step back from and enjoy from a distance. But my perspective is that we are just as much a part of it and belong out there just as much as any other critter. And so my students, regardless of age, are invited to touch it, to pick it up. Sometimes we eat it. And that click in their mind where they realize they're being given permission to interact with something in a hands-on way, and instead of having to observe it from a step back, to actually interact with it completely. That's probably my favorite thing to see, especially when it's an adult, that has been basically a little turned off by creepy crawlies their whole life and were told by their parents that it's hot out there and, you know, things are...
0: Don't touch that. Don't touch don't that. that. Yes,
1: yeah. exactly. And and children, too. You know, they're coming from a, a week sitting in a school with told to, being told to sit still and keep their hands to themselves, and then they get out in the woods with me, and I'm like, touch everything (laughs) touch everything let's pick it up there's very few things out here that can hurt you and uh, we're basically top dog out here and there's nothing out here that's going to eat you and we're going to we're going to revel in our place in nature which is the few creature one of the few creatures that's able to appreciate it with our mind and so that's our place we get to immerse ourselves in it and we also get to sit back and just marvel at it
0: you, uh, when we were talking earlier, you told a funny story and showed a picture of this amazing spider on a tree. It looked like it was six inches in diameter, you know, from its legs. And the young girl's first instinct is to want to touch it and grab it. She what, did. What was that like? Yes,
1: that was just the other day. I was in the woods with a family, and there was what's called a dark fishing spider which is one of the largest species of spider in Russell Forest. Fishing spiders are a category of large spiders that are quite often found around creeks and streams. And this this young girl saw this spider, which I will admit is the biggest one I have ever seen in my life. Cool. And she reached out for it with both hands. And I was like, whoa, 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 because that spider, although it is not harmful, it does have a bite that is sort of like a bee sting. So it wouldn't have hurt her, but it definitely would have, um, you know, probably made her upset and I was like well don't grab that one you know mm-hmm. we were so used to grabbing spiders out there I was like don't grab that one and um her parents said to me do you know why she's so brave and I said I, I don't know but she sure is and they said because of you and and that that made me very happy it made me um it was a little feather in my cap because that girl was um, definitely a um it was a proud moment for me.
0: This little explorer.
1: As she sure was. Future naturalist. Exactly, and she did say that's what she wants to do when she grows so up. Wonderful.
0: And that maybe leads me to um, maybe one of our our final questions: Is do you do you sense that more people are being introduced and tuned in and curious about the outdoors and the natural world, or do you see just the opposite? And does that concern you that people are becoming less engaged in the outdoors and more tuned into? Their, their phones and their digital media and all that? Or is it pretty much been like it's always been, and the opportunity has been there, or the opportunity has been distracted, and the goal is to get people to understand and reconnect with what's in front of us?
1: I think we do have a unfortunate trend of folks staying into themselves, whether they're reading on an uh, electronic device or whether they're on social media, we tend to not look up and not look around as much as we used to. And just as that presents hazards when you're driving and we have laws passed to make you look around and put down your electronic device, there are other benefits to putting those devices down at other times. And the effects that you can get, the benefits that you can get by putting it down and looking around. Smelling the air, taking a deep breath, listening to the sounds, and then continuing to delve into that. What am I hearing? What am I seeing? Why are those birds making those noises? What are those frogs doing? The benefits that come from connecting and being a part of your world are very far-reaching.
0: That's great advice. And it's basically, that's how we should all approach the first couple steps of walking through a neighborhood, of walking through a park, of walking through this amazing place and, and, and Russell Forest.
1: And we can start today. When that when that young girl told me that she wanted to be a naturalist when she grew up, I looked her in the eye and I said, you already are. I love
0: that. Well, Marianne, it's been wonderful talking with you.
1: Nice talking to you too.
0: Uh, I feel like we could talk for eight hours, so we're going to have to come back and hit the trails with you.
1: That sounds great. And, and
0: you can help us slow down and, and experience everything that's here. And uh, so, thank you so much for for spending your time with us and doing all the amazing work you're doing here.
1: Thanks for talking to me.
0: To learn more about Marianne Hudson and her nature tours at Russell Lands on Lake Martin, visit russelllands.com or follow her on Instagram at her account at naturalistmarianne. As always, thanks for listening to this episode of The Way Out There. And if you haven't already, you can subscribe to the show on iTunes or Stitcher. For notes about this show and others, be sure to visit thewayoutthere.com. The Way Out There is a product of Outpost Media and Blue Ion, located in the outdoorsy cities of Charleston and Greenville, South Carolina. And as always, we hope you're getting Way Out There.